Hey listeners, welcome back to the next episode of VCs Off the Record. Today we are talking with Oliver Libby, the co-founding managing partner of HL Ventures and City Rock Venture Partners. Mr. Libby is also chair and co-founder of The Resolution Project, a nonprofit dedicated to undergraduate students who are launching new socially responsible ventures. Mr. Libby is one of our greatest allies and friends, and we're so excited to chat with him today about all of the fabulous things he has going on. So let's get started. Here we go. Hey, listeners, welcome back to a new episode of VCs Off the Record. Today joining me is Oliver Libby with HL Ventures. You're going to find out why this has been an amazing week for him, but I'm so delighted that given this crazy, awesome week you have that you are joining us. So welcome, Oliver. Oh, thanks so much. It's been an exciting week, but I've been looking forward to this all week, Gail. I'm delighted to be here and to uh, chat with this amazing crew you've assembled. Awesome. Awesome. So let's start with your origin story. Tell us a little bit about who you are as a person. Yeah, sure. Um, I guess, you know, one of the things to know about me is I was born into a family of doctors and scientists. So it was always like an interesting dinner table conversation and everything was about, you know, advancing the frontiers of human health, wellness, knowledge, etc. You know, cool thing was my parents didn't want me necessarily to become a doctor, uh, which is good because I would have been a terrible doctor. Um, But the idea was like whatever me and my sister were going to do, it had to have a good impact on the world. So that's been like in the, you know, in the milk or the DNA or whatever you want to say. Um, since the beginning. Um, yeah, for me, I took a really weird pathway. I was fascinated with conflict. I'm actually wearing my great grandfather's army dog tags on my wrist as a reminder of generations that have struggled a lot. And so I, um, you know, studied national security, weirdly enough, for someone who's into impact. Um, but I thought if we could get ahead of conflict and help solve it, that we could make the world a better place. And did some work in the government came out of that and really fell in love with working with my friends who had startups. Um, But I think as an outsider, Gala, I was immediately skeptical of how the whole innovation ecosystem is structured, the incentives, the homogeneity, some of the big mythologies of venture capital that I'm sure we'll talk about. So when the 08 financial crisis started, uh, you know, came came about, I started two organizations. One is a global nonprofit called the Resolution Project. We're the largest social enterprise accelerator for undergraduate students. We're like in 20 states and 82 countries, I think. And then I started mm-hmm. HL Ventures, which is, you know, devoted to growing companies at the nexus of growth, impact, and diversity. And 12 years later, here we are. And here you are. And, you know, you are a real trailblazer. If you think about where we were in 2009 around venture and investing and even impact as a, how did that come about? Like, how did, how did you guys come together? Because there's also a lot of parts of what you have, which again, was really trailblazing to have a studio, to have a fund, to have a, this powerful network. Tell us a little bit more and unpack sort of all those different pieces for us. Yeah, well, first of all, like, you know, the, there's always the joke about like the overnight success that takes 12 years. And by the way, we're still in process, like so much. I feel like we're like refounding the company every year. And I, that's kind of a good thing. It's it's exciting. It's refreshing. Um, But we yeah, started iterating. just as Right, exactly. Just like our entrepreneur. I mean, look, you know, people forget, and I'm sure you would agree, by the way, being an awesome fund manager yourself, like we are two entrepreneurs, we're just ecosystem builders, right? So um, there's a bit of that entrepreneurship journey, even for us and our organizations, which we have to run. Um, But we just started as like a little LLC and my partner, Eric, and I had no idea we were going to build like if I, I could not have articulated for you at that time, that we would be like a company building ecosystem with a studio and funds and managed services and everything. It was just like, 
we're going to help companies grow. There's no money anywhere because it's 2009 and everybody's scared. So how can we help founders and build a more holistic process? And then when you think about like, how did the growth impact and diversity nexus come about for us? It's very genuine. It's two threads that we pulled together that we believe to, the, to this day. First of mm. all, like I was never, ever, because of my family upbringing, whatever, and, and Eric's very similar, we were never just going to start a business that was about like maximize returns at all costs and nothing else. But the other thread we pulled in is, okay, impactful companies are going to be more important. We, I think we did call the fact that generations coming up, we're going to be more focused on social impact and their footprint in the world. And if you look at how woefully bad the funding was for women and minorities, it had to be an investment opportunity, right? So not only morally right, and we can just park it there, but it's also an investment thesis. And that's played out for us over 12 years. You know, um, we, we really believe that the extraordinary entrepreneurs that we have the privilege of supporting and working with and investing in um, were um, chronically underfunded and that was a market mismatch. So that's how it all came about. That's beautiful. Um, you know, that investment opportunity, we call that female arbitrage really believe there's a mismatch in the markets right now. And for smart I mean, investors, that that is huge. Totally. Yeah. And, and by the way, as you know, you know, with all of the um, immense discussions around social justice movements last year, the funding numbers went down for both female and black and, and Latinx founders. So um, still a long road for us ahead, I think. That's right. But for smart investors like us, this is huge opportunity. So Love it. Um, hey, so you say your work is about companies that are either protecting or promoting the planet. Can you give us an example of that and maybe a sector or a tech or an industry that you're excited about? Like, what does that mean when you when you say protecting or promoting the planet? Yeah, so so we call it the four Ps, protecting and or promoting people and or the planet. Um, and the reason we came up with that is because actually a lot of the impact frameworks when we started were um, really inadequate. And, and by the way, I kind of still think a lot of the big cross-cutting ones aren't perfect yet. So we had to come up with something that was authentic to us, which by the way, I recommend, like people are very prescriptive about impact. Like, oh, if your fund doesn't just reduce greenhouse gas, then you're not really impact or whatever. I, I just don't believe that. Um, so what's interesting is, you know, to your question about these, we are very proudly industry agnostic. Um, and we've built an infrastructure. We're a holding company, so we're, our economics are a little bit different. So we do have a larger team. We have a big network of experts and advisors, so we can be agnostic to industry, I think, effectively. Um, but of course, there's spikes, right? There's, there's industries that recur a lot in our portfolio, renewable energy and sustainable materials, health and wellness, food of the future. These are pretty well-regarded impact topics. What I'll yeah. share with you, Solstice. though, is- Solstice, my gosh, yes, I've absolutely you know amazing, yeah, totally. yeah. You know, she was a woman to watch for us. So last year we ran this whole campaign and we spotlighted like amazing women founders and she was one of them. Well, well, well Yeah, I don't think I ever told you that, yeah. I love it, I love it. No, I mean, they're amazing. And they, they, by the way, they're so like on top of their stuff at Solstice, it's amazing. Um, yeah. But you know, for us, I'm, maybe what I'll share with you uh, in answer to your question is there's some stuff within the four Ps that you might not expect. So we spend a lot of time on what we call FinTech for X. It's like fintech for energy efficiency, fintech for health and wellness, and how can we empower people to be able to afford some of these solutions and actually democratize them. And then the other thing is we do a lot of work in what we call protective industries. So um, we fund, for example, a cybersecurity company 
when you think about it, cybersecurity is a big social good. It's about your privacy, your mental and, and financial health, critical infrastructure, national security, right? Um, but it's not often talked about an impact. So it's, you know, protecting people would be one of the four Ps, right? So, um, you know, but that's, that's really what we've tried to do is be authentic about our definition of impact. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, I also heard you talk a lot about in your investment decisions, the importance of the team and the founders. And like that's top, top of the list for you. Is there anything that's moving closer to the top of the list? I mean, look, it's so important, right? And especially because the vast bulk of, of where we start with companies is in our venture studio when definitionally it's super early, right? It's pre-seed most of the time or right around a seed round. There's not a lot of data and not a lot of traction. So what can we evaluate? You know, does the business model make sense? Sure. Is there a big market? Yeah. Um, you know, what is the impact thesis? Yes, of course. But fundamentally, you have to believe in the person. And we're going to see something like one to 2,000 companies this year and pick maybe five to work with. So it's a, it's a sharp, you know, it's a sharp cut. Um, but, um, but I, we do look for something a little bit different than just like the random it factor. So we do look for, uh, we look for diversity and inclusion in teams and for diverse founding teams, really important to us. Um, vast majority of our founders are uh, underrepresented founders. Um, we look for something we call resource magnetism, which is, you know, the shorthand for that is charisma with results. Whereas, you know, there's like a whole mythology around like the it factor and an entrepreneur who commands the room and all that. To me, that's not enough. Um, and, and entrepreneurs command rooms in different ways, sometimes quietly, but are they magnetic? Have they coalesced around them a team that believes in them or at least some early uh, adopters of their technology or something that suggests that there's something about this person or group of people that is magnetic, that is gonna just attract resources and people. And that's something we try a lot um, uh, to, to ascertain. And then Gila, the last thing that's unique, well, not unique, but very unusual to us is we think a lot about our relevance to that person. Can we, with our resources and networks, help them? Because our mantra is daily active engagement with every portfolio company. Because of our structure, we can do that. So it's not just who are they, it's who are they and who are we in context. Yeah, I love that. You know, um, we use, um, we've been embracing builder capitalism, and we talk about how we're builder capitalists and a venture capital body. Um, but I think in many ways, that's what you guys are without without using that language, that is what you're doing, right? Like you are helping them build to success, right? So um, I feel very kindred soul with you in that way. Um, Absolutely. Look, I think I think so much, I talk a lot about the mythologies in venture capital and so many of them from pattern recognition to the power law, I don't think are actually true or at least healthy and good. Um, but to your point about, you know, building to um, an outcome, like I, we always tell entrepreneurs, what are you trying to build? And by the way, for us, like not every company in the portfolio needs to be a unicorn. I'm not going to complain if one of our companies turns into one. Don't get me wrong, but Champagne I'm not trying problem. to right. But I'm what I'm trying to say is like, why is it that as an industry, this this venture capital world has accepted the massive failure rate that we've just decided is like part of entrepreneurship? And how is that relevant? By the way, we think a lot about this, like. If you step away from an innovation center that's a wealthy city with top universities and lots of angel capital, if you're a black founder in Alpharetta, Georgia, and you blow up your first company, you're not just going to like fail forward into your next thing and raise your next round and be cool. Like that's it, right? Maybe. And yeah. and you know how can you go back to the Rotary Club, the church, and your your family and say I blew up, you know, eight hundred thousand dollars of seed investing, but like I have another idea, you know. Yeah. That's not real. So, you know, what Listen, how that, can we that is what I wake up to and fall asleep with each night, right? Is thinking about that, right? 
Exactly. And so what is the story that they're trying to build? And how can we resource that for success and make money, right? I mean, again, it's venture capital, but you know, how can we be authentic to what the entrepreneur is trying to build and not try and bend that towards one narrative? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. That, that is how investing and building together should happen. Um, one or two more questions about startups for our audience, because many of the people uh, that listen are founders and are startups. Um, and you see them all the time. And so I'm curious, what's a mistake that startups make when raising capital? There's a, there's obviously a lot, um, but <laughs> Just one, pick thing one. That one thing they do and they shouldn't do, or you wish they wouldn't yeah. do, or yeah. So, so you can look, flip look, it the other way. What's something that they do great? No, no, no. I think, I think it's a great question. And I think, you know, for me, as I think about the moment that we're in right now, um, the, you know, hyper liquidity, you know, Spacapalooza, like tons of, uh, you know, up rounds and things going on. Maybe the thing I would actually say is, and, and this is a very tough piece of advice to give to a founder is like, be a little careful, think about structure and about what the round you're gonna raise means that you have to do in the next round and the next round after that. So if you're being offered a crazy amount of money at an insane valuation, take the, the win you know, personally about that, feel good about that, and then do the math and figure out if that means that your next round has to be insane-er and whether you think your numbers will sustain that. Because if not, what's gonna happen is the common stock is gonna get destroyed and you're gonna end up owning a very tiny piece of your really successful company potentially if you get it done or you'll take a down round or whatever. So again, it's about like, you know, keep your wits about you when you're fundraising and don't just take the biggest check at the highest valuation. Celebrate those moments when people believe in you at that level, but do the math. Okay, you are so in my head or, or my like, home office here is booby trapped because we literally were having that conversation <laughs> with a founder last week. And it was, you know, this, you know, high price for X and should they go for it? And it looks like, you know, maybe this isn't the time. Look, I, absolutely. And, and the other thing applies too. And we, you know, as I'm sure I don't need to tell you, like we work with underrepresented founders, some of whom we look at around and we're like, Oh my God, like, like, why, you know, there was a company that will remain unnamed because I don't want to call someone out, but um, they closed around and they actually, they were oversubscribed, but the lead investor pushed on them to reduce the amount and reduce the valuation. And we didn't get into the round. And like, that's too bad for me, but you know, we have lots of opportunity. It's great. But I, I called the founder and I said, like, off the record, like, I don't need to get in. It's fine. But like, why'd you do that? Like people wanted to give, and it was a reasonable, the first valuation was reasonable. Like, why did you let yourself get crammed down and look at what it's going to do to you as an owner. And that person has had struggles raising money and just said, look, the lead investor believes in me. I'm going to do what they tell me to do. And so I think, you know, it's about like every round has a Goldilocks structure and a Goldilocks valuation. You got to find like, what is that thing? It's not too hot, not too cold. Right. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. I, I love that we're having these conversations. Um, last question around the startups themselves. Um, how do you like people to connect with you and your organization? That's the best way. Oh my, um, yeah, we, first of all, we love inbound. I mean, like I said, we, you know, we, we see lots of companies and we take very few, but you just never know when that incremental company is going to be the, you know, the diamond that you, you really want to work with. So, um, you know, we have, uh, sourcing emails, both for our studio and our growth fund. Um, and you know, we, the studio is, you know, equity for services. Uh, and then we invest in almost all those companies so that's sourcing at h-l.vc. Um, and then the growth fund picks up series a and we make capital investments there. 
and that's sourcing at cityrock.vc. But all that can be found on our website. It's one website for the whole ecosystem. It's h-l.vc. We have submission forms. We have all the information. We have like a super long FAQ and we welcome meeting people. And by the way, even if we don't move forward, we really try and give feedback in an authentic way to everybody. We know a lot of the founders who reach out to us are from underrepresented communities that oftentimes just get a no and that's it. Um, so we are there also to try and pave the way as best we can for everybody who we talk to. So we're, you know, would love to hear from folks who want to reach out to us. That's wonderful. And you guys have a really impressive website. So for anyone listening who wants to understand how to engage with Oliver and Eric and HL Ventures and HL Studio, and um, like you guys have done just a really good job of being transparent about what you do, who you do it with, why you do it, and how to get involved. I just want you to know that. It's, it's a pretty impressive. Thank you. Thank you. The team who was working on that and Galena, my VP of platform who, you know, poured her soul into that website over the last year. Uh, they've done a great job. I'm just delighted to see it. And uh, we get to just feature the ecosystem. And, and that's what it is. I mean, you know, if you do go to the website, you'll see just how many people are involved in this. It's not just like, you know, me and a couple of GPs being awesome company pickers, you know, it's a whole group effort um, and a really cool founder community as well. So thank you for those kind words. And, you know, we welcome everyone to come check it out. Awesome. Will do. All righty. Now we talked about this at the beginning. I sort of teased it up, but you've had this blowout week. I mean, I'm going to let you tell it, but like, I love that you've gone from Financial Times to what was it, Wall Street Journal and now to VCs off the record. Like this is a crazy <laughs> week. So tell us exactly. about this week. No, for sure. Save the best for last. Um, no, we, you know, look, and and again, it's it's so ironic, right? You hear the, you know, overnight success when it takes 12 years. Um, but we we've been building <laughs> this for some time. Um, you know, we were we I, I was honored to be listed among uh, you know, uh, diversity uh, focused investors in cranes as a nominee for one of their awards there. That was cool on Monday, Tuesday. We had a piece uh, in the Venture Capital Journal on the fact that diversity is everyone's responsibility in VC. It can't just be about, you know, a little allocation towards black and brown VCs and female VCs who will then invest in people who look just like them. And that's the whole story. I'm so in favor and celebrating of diversifying the ranks of venture capitalists, don't get me wrong, but people who look like me need to be a part of this. We need to be diversifying our portfolio. We need to understand the power and the rightness of uh, investing in, in underrepresented founders. And by the way, how great of a thesis it is. So um, that yeah. was a big article. And Gayla, I have to thank you. You were so kind to uh, offer a quote in that piece and your wisdom, um, because I, I also am keenly aware of <clears throat> writing about communities that I'm not <clears throat> a part of. So you have to be <clears throat> authentic and, and get get great advice for that. And you were very kind. I have to thank you as well for reaching out. You know, when I first got the, you know, the uh, email from you, I'll be honest, there was a little bit of like, wow, another guy wanting to speak for me. <laughs> like, what's this shit? Like, and totally. but I gotta tell you, I was wrong. I was wrong. Because you were genuine and you were thoughtful in wanting to add your voice, as opposed to speaking for myself and others. And um, the article's really beautiful. Um, and it, it's it's really illustrative of who you are as well as a person and, and the values that you bring to HL Ventures. So for people that have not read the op-ed, it's in Venture, Cap, uh, Venture Capital Journal. We will have it on our website. We will also have it on my LinkedIn so you can find it there. But it's um, it's really beautiful piece and I, I really uh, admire 
how you did that because it's not easy to speak about something that you're obviously committed to but may not necessarily represent the people from who you speak about or work with or invest in. Um, and so I thought it was really well done. What's been the reaction? It's apparently the number one piece on VCJ for the last few days. It's created a lot of uh, positivity. And actually, I was a little concerned. You know, it's a, it's a complicated topic and not easy. And I would have not been surprised to get some blowback. And, and in fact, I haven't at all. But I think it's because the piece comes from an authentic place. And I don't claim to have all the answers, right? I mean, I, I don't. But I'm playing a little bit of a translational function between someone who is working very frequently with underrepresented founders authentically for 12 years. It's not just like a new or a, a faddish thing for us, but then also speaking really to people who look like me and saying, look, we were not off the hook here, right? We made a lot of commitments and statements as a community last year. We are not completely following through on that, at least quantitatively. We got to get on that and we cannot have glib solutions. We cannot have band-aid solutions. This has to run deep um, into the sector and you know, it's not just about the number of underrepresented VCs that join the ranks. That's important. It's also about who manages a lot of the money today and how can we change that? And that's largely people who look like me. So if we're not in the program for diversity and understanding the power of underrepresented founders as part of a portfolio, this is going to go too slowly. And so, yeah. you know, that's where it came from. You know? Yeah. And I think also, you know, the other thing I was listening for when I read your piece and, you know, some of the drafts was, are you giving permission for the big funds to just prop up a diversity shop and go do five deals and be like, hey, we did it. We did something. We invested in, you know, five black and brown BIPOC people and we're great. Now we can go back to doing what, you know, we were doing before. Um, and so I've liked, you know, we'll, we'll see, you know, history and you know, the next couple of quarters will tell us what trajectory we're headed towards. But um, I hope that we get to a place where it's not about the big shops doing a few deals and putting a few founders in their portfolio and saying, look at us, we did it. Um, but that we also figure out like, and recognize that new funds like me who know my sisterhood are probably best situated to invest and build with those companies. Yeah, I mean, Stephanie Thomas from Impact America Fund also was uh, kind to offer a quote in the piece. And she yeah, said something great. very meaningful, you're exactly right on this topic, which is venture cap, people don't understand, like venture capital is a highly collaborative space. We constantly talk to one another as GPs. We constantly are in deals together. You know, it's only a very small group of funds that like take the whole round and elbow everybody else out. So in that case, like, how do we have, like, if we're going to invest in, for example, a founder who's a woman of color, how do you and I collaborate on that? Because indeed, your pipeline of sourcing, your knowledge of their lives and their struggle and their um, solution. Yeah, mentoring and coaching and exactly. the introductions you know, I can make are going to look different than the introductions you may make. Yep. Right. And how can we combine forces? How can then I bring, you know, lower the drawbridge into other communities? And um, so it is an intensely collaborative space. And we need to have that be collaborative at every level, right, of the LPs that fund the funds, of the funders that fund the companies, and of the entrepreneurs that hire the people, right? And so if, if that gives diversity can be really suffusing the whole thing, not just off in sidecars or little allocations and not balkanized, um, that's going to be where we have authentic success here. Yeah. And a really representative, because by the way, the innovation economy is one of America's most 
powerful assets, right? And if we are not exercising every muscle we have to have an innovation economy that is representative and, and solves problems for everybody, then we're just we're just not going to be maximizing what innovation means for America. And ultimately, it is one of the superpowers here. So let's do it right. That's right. And, you know, and, and in some ways, if you think about it, venture is probably the least innovative space out there in terms of the construct of venture funds, right? But yet we're, yeah, we're saying we want to invest in innovation, right? But then when we step back and we look at like the construct of the actual funds and how they work together, it's it's pretty much been the same as when it started in Silicon Valley a few decades, you know. And, and I mean, I wasn't there obviously 50 years ago when it started, but I'm pretty darn sure that what happened is some people made some money from the early startups and then they called their wealth managers and they said, what's the structure for asset management? And those folks... Um, said, well, private equity charges 2% and 20% carry, you should probably do that. And the like venture capital business model now wags the entrepreneurship dog. And then you layer on all the mythologies, pattern recognition, unicorns, uh, power law, um, you know, fail forward and fail fast. All that stuff like is very narrow, right? And there've been some remarkable successes, but what I'm saying is it's not maximizing the full potential of the whole body of energy uh, that we have for innovation in this country. That's right. No, I even think about, and I haven't activated it yet, but there's also something I talked about in a a recent article is for bigger funds to think how they can work with us. And it's different than just co-invest, right? Like, can they view us as the feeders that they need, right? Like we can de-risk what then comes into their portfolio, right? We can invest early. We can build with them. I can do a warm handoff in two years. Like, that's really how they can get involved. And so where are those, you know, dollars in the same way that they think about their early capital commitments, like they could be making those into funds like ours, and we can be managing that on their behalf before they come in for those series A and Bs and things like that. Um, But, you know, we just have, you know, as a a sector, we haven't really gotten innovative like that. At some point, I'm going to- Yeah, yeah. And look, I mean, sourcing pipelines are critical and they can't just, you can't breathe them into existence in a few months, right? We got a few calls from other GPs who are aware of our long-term commitments. And um, they said, well, how do I, you know, how do I see more deal flow that looks diverse? And I was like, well, you know, do, do you know, do you know Morehouse and Spellman? Like, do you know what those institutions are? If you don't, you should learn, right? Do you, have you met, you know, the folks at Camelback and at Seneca? Do you know Walkstars? Do you know Harlem VC? Do you know, you know, backstage? Like, have you just, yeah, have you talked yeah. to people? Are you connected? Very big, because yeah, I mean, you could start there. Have, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we have on our website, that very work is, is we list all new funds by other people of color. Now, someone might say that's crazy that, they're trying to raise capital, you're raising capital, so you're competing for capital. But, you know, we're take a very collaborative approach. And so for us, it's like we'd rather people be better informed about who all the fund managers are there. So they're making an educated decision about how they work and, and how they engage in the sector. And, you know, this isn't a one fund win strategy, right? This isn't, you know, a zero sum game. Totally. Galen, I think, you you know, when I think of you, right, I don't think just of like the fund manager of Walkstars. I think it's um, you're an ecosystem creator, right? And you are lifting up an entire uh, an entire new approach. And ultimately that wins. It may not like maximize your AUM for fund one, maybe or maybe not. I don't know. But what it means is over time, you're convening an entire approach and an entire group of people. Um, and I think that that's incredibly powerful. So I, I, I noticed that about your site and I love that about your site. 
Awesome. Awesome. All right. So I interrupted you, but it's a good interruption, I think. Um, but I interrupted <laughs> you on this amazing week. Yeah. Well, so then we actually, so speaking of it, we, we launched our uh, fund city rock venture partners, which is our series A and series B funds. So it's part of our Swiss army knife for company building at HL ventures. Um, so that was on Wednesday and, you know, we were uh, uh, blessed to be able to be in like the small mention in the wall street journal and some longer pieces. We actually had a financial times piece today that talked really about what this fund means uh, for our, our thesis at, you know, growth impact and diversity. Um, and I then love it. <laughs> Right, sandwiched in between that, one of our companies, Sealed, had an awesome Series B, a female founder in the energy and fintech space uh, yesterday. So, uh, you know, a lot has been coming together this week, and we expect even more uh, to happen. But what's always the case is, you know, is is what underlies all those pieces of is months and years of work. I just want to pause for a minute and just congratulate you on all of this, because I know this is not an overnight thing. Now, people may be hearing it today, but you have been building and building to this, and it's just really beautiful to see it come together. Thank you. <laughs> How does it feel? How do you feel? I I love this because what it's doing is drawing attention to our team and to our founders, and it is uh, a, I've, it, you know, sometimes... Let me put it this way. Um, we've talked a lot to founders and one of the prevailing feelings of being a founder is loneliness. And sometimes the loneliness isn't just like, it isn't like actually like I don't, you know, see my friends, uh, although COVID, whatever, but, but it, it means more like I've been staking out a stance on a series of principles and people have been just waiting to see if I was right or not. And if we were right as a team. And now that it is starting to come together and there's still a long road to go, right? Venture capital plays out over years, if not decades. But now that it's really starting to show that we're seeing those growing companies, we're seeing the, you know, adding funds and other assets, um, that it's a little less lonely. Um, and, but also the, the other thing I said earlier in our chat is it also feels like every year is a new founding of our firm. We're adding people, we're adding appendages to our company building ecosystem. And so it feels new and fresh all the time. And so moments like this are celebration, but they're also a clarion call for more hard work. Yeah, I love that you talked about the loneliness, but um, yeah, the, the loneliness and, and having to work from a space of knowing that you're doing what's right, but not getting the external signals sometimes to let you know that, right? Cause you just got to keep going till it, something sticks or it works. Um, and I think the other thing I'd add is what people may not always appreciate is all the 101 micro little decisions that we have to make each day as entrepreneurs. And, you know, like it's, it's, I'm, I'm just laughing because I have this conversation <laughs> with my wife a lot. My wife, by the way, is a, is a venture professional as well. She runs MasterCard, StartPath's entire global sourcing system. She's a total rock star. When we post on LinkedIn. talking about MasterCard and then a call this earlier today. That's so funny. Well, she's, I mean, she's, she loves you, by the way. She knows uh, all about your work. Yeah. Um, but it's right. We, we joke around a little bit and she'll be like, what do you want for dinner? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't really care. And she'll be like, well, but you know, where should we order from or what should we make or whatever? And I'm like, no, 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 really. Like I've made a lot of decisions today. Like, please, like, can we, can we not, you know, can you just tell me what we're going to have? Um, but, uh, but, you know, so my, you know, it, so I, I think uh, you're absolutely right. And, and it um, gets you to the point at the end of the day when you're like, wow, like I have made a lot of calls today. Um, and, I would just like to like not make a decision for a little bit now. <laughs> and that is why we have the Bravo channel for Brain Candy TV. 
absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm my, to, yeah, Star, Star Wars is my poison, sadly, or, or <laughs> you know, amusingly. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, listen, this is a great segue into our pop culture route. Yes. So you said Star Wars. We got a couple more sort of pop culture questions for you, and we'll end with this. All right, let's do it. Okay. Barack or Michelle? Barack. Okay. Books or podcasts? Podcasts. Like this one, of course. Okay. Beyonce or J-Lo? Beyonce. Puzzles or board games? Board games. Okay, music. You got a couple choices. Classical, jazz, country, hip-hop, or R&B? Hip-hop. And possibly because I'm... I'm 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 a uh, I'm a kind of under the radar. Although my team won't think it's under the radar, but I'm an under the radar beatboxer, and I write freestyle from time to time. So it's gonna be like Dougie Fresh or Rozelle or one of like the original great beatboxers. The funny thing is that Resolution Project, we have these wonderful like big events and stuff, and we've had some amazing performers like you know All for One, Estelle, uh, Wyclef Sean, uh, and, <laughs> and usually what happens is it's someone scary. in the audience says like you know Oliver needs to get up there, and so. Um, I get up there and there's always a moment where like Wyclef is looking at me and he's like, that guy's going to beatbox. And then I do. And <laughs> you, you can look at Wyclef's social media feed. Like there's a moment where he's just like, what? <laughs> so. And then you crush it like you do. Oh. All right. Last one. Favorite sport. Tennis. I play tennis. So, yeah, frankly, I'm a um, I'm like the kind of person who doesn't love to go to the gym. Like you need to drag me to the gym, but I'll play tennis for four hours and not notice that I love tennis. I love that. I played tennis years ago uh, in middle school. I was on the team and my friend's dad would pick us up in this little Jaguar sports car. And we just would laugh because we're like, where are we supposed to put the tennis rackets? Like there's no place for us, for the us two girls to sit and our rackets. Like this is such a midlife crisis car that your dad's coming to pick us up in. It was crazy. No, that's, well, my, that's my memory. <laughs> just got the tennis rackets up as you're driving along. Exactly. <laughs> Does anybody want to match? Um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Well, Oliver, thank you so much for spending time with us. So many good nuggets of knowledge here. Um, I can't wait for you to get to meet some of the people in our ecosystem. We're going to make sure that they come and check you guys out because you are doing amazing stuff. And um, I'm so glad you're part of our Walkstar family. Well, thank you so much for having me, Gayla. This is awesome. Uh, and uh, we have a lot to do together to keep, uh, you know, bringing the world, uh, you know, into the vision that we that we both have. So uh, thanks for everything you're doing and, and really appreciate everyone who's, who's tuned in here. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, listeners, thank you for joining us for another episode of VCs Off the Record. Wow. What an amazing person, an amazing human being, an amazing conversation that we just had with Oliver Libby. Please go check out the website if you are all interested um, because you're a startup or you're an investor or you're thinking about this space. There's some really good information on their website that I think will be really helpful for anyone. The website is h-l.vc. Do check it out. And I just want to also highlight one thing that we talked about, whether you're a startup, you're an investor, or you're a fund manager, and that is don't think about your capital raising as an event but rather a continuum. And I love how Oliver talked about keeping your wits about you, 
celebrate the wins, but always be doing the math for your next round. And last but not least, do go check out the article, share it with your friends. It's in Venture Capital Journal. It's an op-ed by Oliver called Diverse Portfolios Should Be the Responsibility of Every VC. It's a powerful piece, and I invite you to go take a look at it. Until next time, stay fabulous.